everyone, and welcome to the Roasted Games Podcast. I am Kaz Gable. And I'm Bill Price. Welcome to the podcast, everybody, on this beautiful fall day where the leaves are turning and we're all reflecting on our own mortality. <laughs> or maybe just I am. <laughs> it's probably just you. I haven't had my coffee yet, so I made the mistake of drinking tea, which isn't doing it for me. It rarely does. <laughs> But uh, let's jump right into it and uh, shrug off these uh, gloomy thoughts by getting into what we have been playing recently. And we have quite a list, but we're going to try to narrow that down a bit yes. to not fill two hours of time. <laughs> Correct, which I probably could. Um, yeah, so, you want to kick it off? Yes. So in case anyone is unaware, um, I have been, uh, I just got a hip replacement done. So we haven't recorded in uh, several weeks. Uh, due to my recuperation. So what you've been listening to were kind of sort of pre-recorded kind of great episodes. Yeah. Literally our best. So um, to you, the audience, yes. We've yes. Un- we've in- had unencumbered or unhitched uh, uh, just a straightforward, never-ending podcast stream. But to us, it's been a month it, since we've been, we've actually sat down to record. So It, it has, it has. So consequently, we have played uh, a lot of games. Um, I am going to narrow it down and just talk about a couple, and then I'll talk about a couple on the next one as well. Uh, one I really want to get to is uh, Biblios. Uh. Now, if you want a real full rundown on Biblios, uh, Kaz <laughs> and his cohort, Alex, get into it on Chits and Chat, yep. also a member of the Eavesdrop Network. And uh, they really go in depth, possibly too in depth. <laughs> so, probably, yeah, so, definitely. Uh, so it's forty-five minutes, uh, and the game doesn't take forty-five minutes. <laughs> yeah, we, so you could play a couple rounds in the time yeah. that we take to talk about it. This is probably a twenty to thirty-minute game, depending on whether you have full player count. I think two people can play it in fifteen to twenty minutes, pretty easy. Uh, but it is a sort of i don't want to say biblically themed game because it's not really it's more just like monks who are uh you know writing or taking care of ancient texts or some nonsense like that it's uh it's almost themeless if we're being being real about it uh but it is really really interesting in that it has two phases uh similar to like for sale if you've ever played that uh where there is a uh, distribution phase basically where you're uh, each player takes turns giving themselves cards giving the other players cards and setting cards aside for uh, for auction and then there's an auction phase where you bid gold in your hand that you accumulated on the previous round uh, you bid for all the cards in the gigantic auction round now uh, I personally dislike most auction games. It's not a mechanism that I'm a big fan of, uh, but for some reason it really, really works in this game. And I think that if you are not into auction games, do not let that turn you away from this. You get enough information uh, by the time it gets to the auction phase that you really know what you want and you know what it's worth which I think is my big hang-up on most auction games, is that I, I feel like I kind of go into it blind. I don't know what other people think something's worth. Is my $5 bid too much? Is it not enough? Am I going to get laughed at? Am, am I going to way overpay? Um, somebody going to come across the top with a $30 bid because I have no idea what I'm doing? Uh, that 
is an auction game to me and that sucks uh but this is this is a lot of fun uh it's it's an excellent two-player game also plays really really well at three and surprisingly well at four uh four is much more chaotic and you have uh more of a likelihood of somebody getting skunked uh which has <laughs> definitely happened in several games uh but because there's actually uh there's these dice that are uh trackers point trackers uh for different sets that you can collect so um there's very 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 small amounts of points that are available uh to be spread out between two three or four people so uh all the games are very tight uh you tend to get to the end and the reveal is something of a surprise uh there's only been one time really that i've played it was with somebody who'd never played before uh where i felt pretty confident that i had pretty much gotten almost everything which is really difficult to do with somebody who knows how to play so yeah um but it's also very accessible it's very easy to teach it's very easy to explain and uh it's uh it it definitely shines on its second play on because things that you do very very early on can kind of impact the game but not in a real negative way if you've never played before you get to the end typically your thought is not well that sucked it's normally oh i know exactly what i'm gonna do now yeah so uh it's it's a great game it's a super good filler game uh like i said 20 30 minutes uh, it plays really quick especially if you know how to play and it's uh easy to get to the table and that is Biblios. Yeah, I just second all that. It's a great game. One thing I would add, too, is one of the great things about it is every it's a low-scoring game. So every single point is worth trying to get. So Absolutely. that's And one of the things I think that makes the bidding or the auction part satisfying is that there isn't going to be, like, I bid 50000 Well, I have 10. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. It's going to be very close <laughs> and, and tight. So you're going to be just bidding increments of one or two gold, probably, um, that is going to be the difference that's going to get you. So it just feels like it's... It's not out of control while still feeling really, um, uh, here's my term, satisfying. Here we go. <laughs> right. And, and, and I, I agree. It is <laughs> very you pointed satisfying. that out, I'm realizing how much I say that. <laughs> no, we, we like it. You can't stop saying it now. It's like your Well, trademark. no, I can't. I literally can't. I've tried. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it, what, one of the things you said there with the auction is, um, uh, another thing I like is everybody really, when you get to the auction phase, everyone's usually pretty comparable in the amount of gold that they have. You don't normally see somebody just jump in there and just start bullying people out of stuff by outbidding them because then they just blow everything in the beginning. Right. Yeah. So that they they don't have a firm grip on the end game. So uh, it's, it's definitely, definitely close, definitely tight. And I think that uh, it's, it's an excellent game. Nice. Um, well, I my play, I'll just jump into a, a big one. I'm, a lot of people, I'm sure, have played this one. I finally got Wingspan played, and um, I'm not going to say much about it because you've probably heard too much about it already. It is what everyone says it is. It's pretty amazing. I would uh, definitely check it out. It um, It's just another great, such a great design, such a great color scheme. I love when... Um, uh, games are able to use pastels in certain ways, and this game just uses them. Like the the player pieces are like it's green, but it's actually a bright, fresh green. And then all the color choices here are just it's just perfect. I don't know. There's so I, there's so much good you can say about this game, so I won't 
continue to say it, but I was uh, we were having a conversation about it, and um, you had mentioned that someone um, had compared it to Gizmos, which I thought was yes. act, quite apt, actually. And I didn't think of it until you said it. But it's like, yeah, there are some similarities. So if you haven't played it and you have a sense of it, and you've played Gizmos, I guess, <laughs> it's a similar engine building feel. There's not, it's not a one to one by any means. They're different games completely. No birds in Gizmos. No, none at all. <laughs> Only marbles, <laughs> right? Which are not eggs. <laughs> but it's got a similar uh, uh, that engine building feel of Gizmos, but it takes it in slightly different directions. But I would definitely recommend this game. Um, it's it's one I would love to play again at a moment's notice. It's just, uh, it's it's so well done. The way the engine building feels satisfying, but yet um, there is so much difficulty in choosing what you do. It's like there's a the one downside I could say is it feels a little bit analysis paralysisy, or it can. However, once you realize that the op- any option you choose is probably pretty good, as long as you kind of um, use that in the future like just don't lay something down just to lay something down at least have a little bit of sense on what you're going to do for instance what i'm trying to get at is i had these you have these goals in the game to sort of nudge you towards one strategy or another and i ended up drawing two more through the course of the game i met none of those goals for the extra points (laughs) i tried but then i eventually gave up on those just ignored them because they were just distracting because i wasn't able to do them and so i felt like i was failing at that and i was like well that's not fun and and i don't really care that much if i have (laughs) birds named after a color (laughs) so so i didn't and i still i forwent those points uh i did not win but for my first play i thought i did pretty well i was within 12 points of the leader and um, so I just feel it's a really good, does a really good job of allowing you strategy options to, if you start off slow, to within game rally and really make a go of it. And that's always impressive when a game has that ability or lets you do that within a game. You don't feel like you're losing right from the start and be like, resign yourself to not doing well. So anyway, Wingspan, check it out. Yes, I'm. Uh, my wife played it, and she she really liked it as well. So yeah. uh, I have not had a chance to play it, but I hope to. Um, your pastels are totally lost on me, being colorblind. <laughs> I can't tell a soft green from a hard green, or whatever if those are things. Soft blob from a hard blob. Right. Um, so I'm going to do one more, uh, and then save the rest for next week. And this one kind of reaches back to the Wayback Machine, in that this is something of an older game. Uh, not like Monopoly old, but uh, it's Sheriff of Nottingham. And oh, yeah. I got an opportunity, uh, this plays up to five, and I got an opportunity to play maybe four or five games of this at five players in a row uh, with some of my wife's family who are, they they like to play games, but they're more like party gamers or card game players they're not really these are kind of their first uh this sort of their first real look at kind of a an actual modern board game and uh they absolutely loved it this game went off better than i i'd say most games i've played in recent memory uh this was there were big moments in every single game uh they all felt different they were all very close uh, different people were winning with different strategies. It uh, it was really a sight to see. And uh, if you have a chance to play this, I, I've played it with 
three and it's okay. Four is good. Five to me is the sweet spot because they, it goes around enough times and you've got enough people trying to bluff. And uh, it's not just one person versus two other people because <laughs> there, it's always a, because the sheriff moves around. It's always one versus all. So one versus four is way more fun than one versus two. Right. Uh, so anybody who hasn't played Sheriff of Nottingham, basically you are all um, street vendors in Nottingham and you're trying to get goods past the sheriff. Uh, so you, it's hidden, you get cards and you, you put them in a bag, snap the bag shut, give it to the sheriff, and you declare what goods are in there. The sheriff can check the bag if they don't believe you. And if, uh, if you were telling the truth, then the sheriff has to pay you. If you are lying and trying to sneak something in, then, the sh- then you don't get to sneak that stuff in, and you have to pay the sheriff based on what you're trying to sneak in. And there's all kinds of different, there's four different things like apples and bread and uh, cheese and that kind of stuff. And there's also um, contraband, like crossbows and silk <laughs> and stuff like that. So... It's it's very, very cool uh, in that it, it's there's a lot of pressure luck. There's a lot of, um, I don't want to say social deduction, but a ton of social interaction Yeah, where you're trying to bluff and convince somebody and you really find yourself role-playing in this. Sure. You know, even uh, people at the table were getting the, the funny British accents. Not that <laughs> British accents are funny, but they're funny when people do them who can't do them very well. Um, where they're, you know, trying to, to, you know, just (laughs) convince the sheriff to let him go. You can also submit bribes and stuff. Oh, this is for your time to not check me, you know? And so, but you can also use that if you want him to check you. So it's, it's really, really cool. It's one of the best gateway experiences that I've ever had with a group before. So if, if you have a big gateway group, uh, I highly, highly recommend uh, Sheriff of Nottingham. I have never played that game. That's a game that I've always, I've never, I don't know why I haven't, I want to think about it. I mean, I haven't avoided it. <laughs> I just haven't had the opportunity. But um, but that's great to know because, I don't know, I had an experience last time we went, uh, Shelly and I went to go visit our family in Wisconsin, and I brought some games, and uh, which I always do, and I ne- rarely get them played because they're just not <laughs> board game people. But I always dream. I dream a big dream. And, uh, and I was just thinking, like, all the games I brought were more, I don't know, they just were, like, a level above, or, like, they're more, they're very, like, uh, uh, engaging people, and they like to, like, uh, sit around and chat, and they get into it. And so, the more you talk about it, the more I was thinking, like, this is probably the perfect game that can break yeah. the wall, finally. <laughs> it's easy to explain, it's simple enough, and, and it's it encourages lots of conversation. And if you have people who just can't stop talking, if you have really social group, yeah, uh, this is so much fun. I have also played this before with people who aren't really that social and it kind of just turns into like a game of chess or something where you're just like i'm three apples right you're like like, i "Um, do not believe you very well i will not check your bag okay i was telling the truth okay that sucks (laughs) but if you have a very engaging group uh i i'd have trouble finding any other gateway game that is as engaging as this nice all right i'm gonna keep my eye out for that and you do as well everyone 
Um, okay, so the next one, I uh, Bill and I played this game. I just grabbed this game. I'd never heard of it before, and um, it's called Pioneer Days. <gasps> so good. Yeah. Spoiler. It was... <laughs> It was very good. It was very fun to play. I didn't know what to expect. The reviews were pretty good. I mean, it gets reviewed pretty well. But um, so the synopsis is basically what um, the Oregon Trail game should be. And that's very accurate. (laughs) It is about pioneers going to the West and traveling on their little caravans and making doing what they do, getting uh, resources, recruiting townsfolk to help them and be part of their cause. And it's set up in uh, four rounds, uh, which represent weeks, and each round has five actions or five uh, turn actions within it. And so you are you are your own little caravan, and each at the end of each round or week, you arrive in town and have to satisfy the town's needs, which are basically your goals for the week on how you get a lot of points. You turn in things, or you gather things or people throughout that week, and um, then in the town, you fill the town's needs to get a lot of points. So <clears throat> it was really satisfying in a way of feeling like you were on the trail. Like there are things that were limiting in it. Like I was thinking about it today. We only did the one play and I'm excited to play it again. But the there were a couple things where I was kind of annoyed that I, didn't, I wanted to do more because I liked how the engine worked in that way. But it was like, well, no, that makes sense for a pioneer that they're not just going to have endless um, shop stuff out there. They can't just go to the shop or the market all the time and be buying supplies or equipment all the time. Yeah. The, even though the equipment's really fun and very necessary for your strategy, it does make sense that each time you got to go from town to town where the markets actually are or the shop is. Yeah, everything is pretty scarce. Uh, yeah. Resources are scarce, equipment scarce, uh, cattle scarce, uh, even money can be yeah. scarce. Uh, Townsfolk yeah. that you collect can, can be pretty scarce because it's all limited goods, which I think really really fits this and it kind of drives you to uh kind of streamline your strategy yeah uh, because if there was just a ton of all this stuff available it'd feel very sandboxy right and i I don't feel like it would be easy to focus on kind of one core thing this is very much to me uh, kind of the best of a bunch of different worlds it's it's definitely euroy yeah and and it's it's mechanisms and kind of its appearance it is it is a i'd call it a euro game but it's a light enough euro game that it's fairly easy to learn um but it's also uh it's there's a ton of good choices there's several different strategies you can you can take uh and ultimately it's not very long yeah it's it's, i think of like like euro games as being you know extensive like hour and a half two hour games i don't think this broke an hour yeah i don't think so either and that was a learning game for us right i could see us in a two-player game busting this out in 35 40 minutes yeah that was really cool about it we read it I didn't really read anything about it until we just decided, hey, let's check it out, just if nothing else, to play with the pieces, and then we ran through the rule book, and it was pretty straightforward, and so it felt like we could easily jump into it, and we did. It was like, okay, yeah, no, we got this. Yeah, so, I totally won, because Bill wins. <laughs> Bill did. I was, speaking of sandbox game, that's kind of how I was treating it, and that is not how you do it. I was, my caravan was all over the place, but it was really fun to do, so the each of the mechanisms were fun to engage with. And um, the market, which is what I'd hoped to be able to get more equipment more regularly, because it's 
kind of powerful. Um, the the offset of that is there are a lot of other options to buy. Like the biggest option you have to recruit are townspeople, and they usually will do an instant action or a recurring action, and then they have some sort of victory point condition at the, that each one of them allows you to do at the end of the game. So they can help you flesh out your strategy or refine your strategy or define it at all. And um, but you have to be careful with those because if you activate like a famine or something right. like that, then you lose your townspeople literally die on exactly you. just like oregon trail the brutal oregon trail right. <laughs> they can can and will probably die so it's a so and that is i don't know it just felt so great on theme that that happens you can have cattle two cattle are important in the game they can die off um you can have uh these caravans can be blown up by the storms they can be damaged by high winds and storms um and that kind of leads into the one of the really cool things about this game is it has this um, natural disaster tracker or that that is going to fluctuate throughout the game and the game is predicated on rolling dice dr- <clears throat> grabbing a certain amount of dice from a bag depending on player count first person plays the or first person rolls that dice it's usually one more die than the players in the game so for bill and i playing it was three die then one person draws a die and uses the action of that die and the die are color coded and those colors are going to um affect how the disasters are moving so one can be advanced on the track higher let's say disease can be closer to firing off and you can use that to your strategy as well so you can kind of you're going to get hit by one of these but it's a really cool way to offset uh the future when the natural disaster that is closest to firing you can plan for that sometimes you just can't but sometimes you can also trigger it knowing your opponent doesn't have prepared. enough medicine for yeah. disease. And so you'd be like, aha, now you got to kill off some townspeople. And, but you'll probably take a hit slightly yourself as well. If not, if nothing else, you have to spend resources. So And you'll go to hell because <laughs> you just <laughs> yeah. killed a bunch of people. I know. It's very happy-go-lucky. <laughs> and then you just disease. Send disease at someone for no reason. You're just all trying to make a better life in the West. and then you <laughs> I have medicine and you don't. <laughs> send them through a swamp full of mosquitoes covered in malaria or whatever they have at that time. So anyway, I would recommend checking it out. It's pretty cool. It does a great job of like if you ever if if like many of us, the Oregon Trail game that it does exist was a giant disappointment and <laughs> felt just barbarically unbalanced. This game is going yeah, it was to not good. yeah. This game will very much clarify that there is a good game in that theme, and uh, they made it. It's called Pioneer Days. So check yes. it out. Pioneer Days is excellent. All right, so um, I would like to talk today before we do our top five um i would like to talk a little about kind of the state of the board game industry as it exists right now and this sort of stems off of a phone call that we had with the publisher that signed our game yes and uh he was talking about kind of trying to figure out when and how our game fits into like the timeline of the market right now it's really saturated what what would be a good you know insertion point for this do we kind of wait a little while and see if things even out see if there becomes a little less competition or do we you know try and go for it sooner um ultimately we are uh, getting started on getting artwork done uh the publisher is, has agreed to get some promo art worked up and so we're very excited that we're moving forward there but it kind of got me thinking and Kaz as well about uh 
the the state of board games right now. It's almost to me getting to be close to what books are on mm-hmm. Amazon. It's super cheap and easy with uh, games uh, with uh, like print on demand places like the Game Crafter or um, Drive Through Games or um, Games Maker. Uh, it's it's super easy for anyone to just put their stuff together and, and toss it on the store and it doesn't cost them anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like putting t-shirts up for sale that you haven't printed up yet. Right. Um, so there's, uh, and, and in addition to that, there's so many Kickstarters that, I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to keep track of them all. You can listen to, there's multiple podcasts and YouTube channels and everything else that have, um, Kickstarter previews and you can watch a dozen of them and never see the same, game cover because there's so many of them and uh in addition to the small publishers you've got larger publishers who are submitting you know 15 20 25 games a year and there's literally thousands and thousands of new games every year and it's it's expanding even more so uh every year you're just seeing more and more and more tossed in the market and it got me to thinking about how how do new games differentiate themselves at this point? How do you hear about new games? Like for you, what's what's your you? How do you hear about and decide? You know what? I want I want that game. I'm gonna go out and try and find it. Yeah, um, you know, I I'd, I'd say it's a combination of the uh, review sites and reviews pulling out games and kind of putting it in front of my face or hearing buzz about it through reviews, and then um, for me specifically, I have. A couple friends who play games that aren't on my rate, like their type of games that they enjoy. Like Alex, my par- friend Alex, my partner. I almost called him my partner. <laughs> well, Rodian Slip, right? <laughs> sort of like your, it's like your other podcast partner. Um, but uh, Alex is Alex, and I share a lot of similar tastes in games. But he also has a, um, I don't know. He 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 has a heavy interest in other games that I would never really can not 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 consider, but just wouldn't be on my radar. Like he's kind of in the loop of those types of games, so it's more of a genre interest. And um, so I'll get a lot of references or referrals from him. And also, he is very active in way more than I am in going to conventions. Where he lives in Portland is just a great convention community for board games. So there's a lot going on, and uh, they have no kids, so they do a lot of that. But um, but primarily outside of the just word of mouth, yeah. It, for me, I am definitely that person that just watches game reviews online just because I enjoy listening to them, and then I will hear a reference in discussion of a game to another game. And uh, I'm just kind of follow a thread of like going down a rabbit hole of like, oh, I'm just kind of curious what uh, what that that's about, and then hearing hearing things like that. So it's not really a directed thing, I would say. And the other thing is, is that I don't do I don't at this point do a lot of Kickstarter purchasing, um, which I was I guess you'll Good get into for that your wallet. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> and that's why is I've tried to put some caps lately on my. Uh, my game purchasing. But anyway, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So where would you say you're getting the most or well, it, most it info? Well, it really, really uh, depends, and it's expanded a lot. I used to really just concentrate on, uh, like, I would watch a lot of YouTube reviews, specifically, like, The Dice Tower and stuff like that, uh, board game, or what is it, uh, Game Boy Geek and, yeah. and those. Yeah. Um, 
But now uh, it's a lot more avenues have expanded, especially since we've started doing this podcast and that I'm listening to more podcasts about board games, um, managing the Instagram and Twitter accounts. Uh, are big because I'm I'm always looking through and I'm seeing new games on social media, especially Instagram for mm-hmm. sure. Twitter is a good place to kind of meet other designers and small publishers and stuff. So sometimes you see uh, I learn more about the Kickstarter games coming out uh, on Twitter, but Instagram you just you scroll through and you see these beautiful games. You're like, oh my god, what is that? Yeah, yeah. And then you start you know you like it and you start a conversation in the comments and then before you know it you're buying it um so social media has been a big one for me i still watch a lot uh, of youtube reviews but i'd say more now i look to youtube to kind of validate sure a purchase i'll see something on instagram and say oh that's really pretty that's great people recommend it let me go on youtube and watch a playthrough or watch a review or how to play a tutorial or something and kind of get a feel for if this is my kind of game um, I'm much more now, uh, certainly than I was a few years ago, I'm much more defined in what I like and don't like in a game. I can usually tell by watching uh, a review or a playthrough, I can tell if this is going to be a game that I'll get to the table or a game I won't. Right, right. Um, I also uh, will browse Kickstarter still. Uh, that's that's a big rabbit hole that I'm trying desperately to kind of stay more away from as well. It's not working super well, but um, <laughs> which is frustrating for us because as we think of where we're going to go with this first launch of our game, Kickstarter is obviously going to be part of it, and it's the glut of games out there makes it just difficult because it's like you can easily get lost in the mix. How do you set yourself yeah. apart in even the slightest way? Well, and it kind of goes back to that uh, that interview we had with Carla Kopp from yeah. uh, Weird Draft Games in that Kickstarter will reward you if you're already doing well. Right. So if you get a whole bunch of funding quick, then Kickstarter will make you a you know staff pick or Kickstarter yeah, recommends. And so that just... It, it makes really powerful projects even more powerful. But yeah. it kills small projects. Right. Because you pop on there with a great game, and Kickstarter's not going to notice that it's a great game. It's only going to look at what you're, you know, how much money you've raised at this point. And I understand. I mean, that's, that's, they have to make money. It's a business model sure, for yeah. them. But it would be also nice if sometimes you could see smaller games that aren't taking off but that you have somebody on staff who is a board gamer and who knows the industry and says recognizes hey this is this is a project that's really worth people seeing because it's a great game rather than it's going to make us a bunch of money that's never going to happen because (laughs) obviously i understand how business works so uh i'm not expecting there's some sort of uh billionaire out there with a lot of time on their hands and just wants to pay it back then please start this (laughs) yes service do like quick starter instead of kickstarter or something i don't know that might be taken yeah it's just hard because it feels like you i mean and this isn't unreasonable to to expect but to do a lot of uh more well more than you would expect groundwork or on prepping and hyping the game for a lot of times a year or more 
behind even getting close to publishing or, or yeah. and within that the prepping that kind of time what you were saying with when we were talking with Carla is that a lot of that prep work the game has to be the art has to be done for the most part or at least 99% done and squared away so you can present it as you're prepping it because you're basically now running around trying to present this game to people and pitching it and the idea of it and building some word of mouth buzz um, so there's a lot of time effort and money going into these games more than ever before because there are more games coming out and a lot of them are great and so it just feels like this giant mountain to <laughs> this giant mountain shrouded in fog <laughs> that yeah. it, the paths are obscure and hard to find um the paths that don't just uh end up ending abruptly or falling off a cliff yeah and to pull another quote from her uh this was such a good interview. That's a great metaphor, by the um, way. I just want to pat myself on the back for that one. Excellent. Yeah, um, good. She did you notice when she said by the time it hits Kickstarter, she's already dropped ten grand into yeah, it? Yeah. Oh, I think about that all the time. And yeah. I'm thinking the whole reason I would go to Kickstarter is because I don't have ten grand. Right. Yeah. And so so that blows me away and even more differentiates the fact this this whole the haves and have nots. Uh, I think that's going to start to, uh, that chasm is going to start to get wider. Sure. And so I think we are going to see a breaking point here. Uh, but going back to what you said about having to uh, create basically uh, a community and buzz around your game, you know, six months, a year plus in advance, uh, that very much reminds me of the author model on Amazon. Uh, anybody can have their book, you know, put on Kindle or, you know, printed to order or what have you, but no one's going to buy it mm-hmm. unless you have a, a good, solid author platform and you've been out there engaging with people, creating a community, sub, you know, putting out samples, um, setting everything up to have this community of buyers who you've just worked into this frenzy and you say, here's my new book. After a year and a half, yeah, and, and then all of a sudden, bam, you get 2,000 sales, and and that's it, uh, typically. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of these. Like I, I have some books on Amazon myself that I did some similar things with uh, and had good results. It's very difficult to sustain uh, long term, yeah. but, um, but you almost have to, I think, do that. You have to create this buzz in this community where people feel like when your game comes out, it's not your game. Mm-hmm. It's our game, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I think Kickstarter does used to do a better job at encouraging. Now I see these big companies that have like these, you know, $85,000 goals because they have 100 miniatures in there. And I recognize this company is having, you know, done 20 hundred thousand dollar kickstarters in the last two years they're not a starving creator right you know? right, right. They're, they're not a guy sitting in their basement going man i've got such a great idea for this game and i'm i just i want the world to experience it right so a lot of these most of these at this point these big kickstarters are businesses like solid oh, yeah established yeah. businesses and that's kind of a little bit more of a turnoff because it's it gets away from what i loved about kickstarter to begin with um, so some of the other avenues that I have recently kind of put more stock into is like word of mouth at like game group and things like that, mm-hmm. because people bring in games and I'll be like, Whoa, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And I 
I've made purchases based on games that I've played at Game Group. Uh, I've made purchases based on people coming in saying, hey, this game's a lot like uh, this other game I have that's really fun. I'd be like, oh, well, tell me about that. And I'll be like, wow, I got to check that out. And then I'll go look on YouTube and, and decide this is this is it. Um, so I know you probably get a lot of recommendations at Game Group as well. I do too. We and go I to think the same one. Tied to that and kind of what I was saying about um, – having a friend that does a lot more conventions than I do, I think the the sweet, the best sort of info is uh, conventions. You're going to get a lot of people who are, uh, I'm sure they have a Kickstarter or are about to, but they're doing that. They're doing, making the rounds. They're trying to be in the community, trying to get that hype or that interest or if nothing else, the awareness of their game started or out there continued. And so you get a lot of um, examples of games that you may never have heard of that you may never heard of. They may never even make it to that point because the cost benefit is analysis. is just not going to play out. But, um, but like, for instance, like zombie bus, that's how we found zombie bus, yeah. a game that we can't, by if we wanted to but because kevin, went, but to kevin went to gen con and you know that's an example of an amazingly huge convention that you should probably at some point if you're into games try to get to at least once but definitely not <laughs> there are other conventions right. so there are other conventions like con of the north in February. exactly in February, Minneapolis, Minneapolis. You I should go. i've heard that's a good one we should probably check it out look for a couple guys there um who look but, just like us <laughs> very much like us similar names <laughs> same names <laughs> exactly the same names but uh but yeah i think the conventions are like if there was some sort of way to more broadly take the convention experience and uh, which is, I guess what I'm describing is what Kickstarter was <laughs> take right. the convention experience, um, the ability to go and sort of click around or discover happen upon different game experiences that you wouldn't normally find in a game store or just online with no direction and uh, have these kind of fun moments of surprise and your kind of interest drawing one way or another based on what's around there. And the, the selection isn't overwhelmingly huge, at least in most conventions. Gen Con is the exception because it is a monster of yeah. a convention. But if there was a way to to recreate that experience through conventions, and I kind of hope more conventions do and this is putting a lot of weight on their shoulders, but it'd be kind of cool if more conventions of a certain size would have more of a interactive um, uh, virtual experience that would that would not necessarily simulate you walking around the convention, but at least have a run through of you know what things were played, do more direct interviews with the the game designers in their convention, and sort of highlight you know games in that way. Like, well, here's the big name game that everyone you know it's great, of course check it out, but here's some cool stuff that we found in our convention that we can at least highlight to bring to your attention if you weren't there. Well, what about even at like a Gen Con where you you have uh, different booths who all they have to do is bring their uh what their their cameras sure yeah and you can set up a website where participating booths you can just go to the booths and kind of check out demos and see them um interacting with customers and kind of take a look at their selection and things like that um even that would be pretty neat yeah uh a, a list of online demos you know where it's live streaming and you have uh, webcams there that you can just turn on and get in on a demo. Yeah, uh, that that would be really neat. That virtual con experience would be. That's a business idea. Totally. Yeah. Huh. I mean, I'm not gonna do it, but some, <laughs> someone out there picked that up and run with it. Yeah, but, definitely. But I think there's a lot of gamers like uh, the cons are like. Bill and I live in uh, Denver, which is great, but Denver has a few cons, but it feels like for a city of our size, we should have more. And it's just kind of an odd experience. Part of that's to do with 
the culture of Denver and Colorado, it's very outdoorsy. And so there's, there's a lot of gamers here, but there's, I think conventions are not as hyper well attended as they are, for instance, in Portland, which is rainy and dreary a lot of the time. And people stay inside a lot more than they do here. And so there's this massive, super active uh, gaming culture there. And there are great cons all the time, Uh, just these crazy conventions of varying sizes, but they're all very well attended and have this just so cool energy within them. So, you know, if you're in a place like that where it's harder to get to cons, then this virtual experience seems to be like a perfect solution for that. Yeah, I would love that. I would set aside a Saturday to just browse around Gen Con, you know? You know you could do too? You could have like the Arrested Development surrogate. <laughs> do you remember the show where <laughs> yes. he hires the guy just to be him in person to walk around with the camera on his head? <laughs> That's a different business. Uh, that's but, a uh, totally different business. <laughs> that's uh, that's more rent a person, which yeah, yeah. is terrible. Um, yeah. So my my last way that I buy games is it may be sadly uh, my most common, and that is sales, uh, especially on like cool stuff or miniature market. Sure. Um, they do daily sales and weekly sales, and sometimes I see games and I'm like, oh. Oh, that's normally fifty bucks. Right now it's twenty five. What else can I add to the cart <laughs> to get me over a hundred for free shipping? So so then, you know, I'm I'm busting through and I'm finding these like, you know, discount clothes out. That's where I found Archer Love Letter for it was like four dollars or something. I got um animals on board for like five ninety nine. Uh oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you go Some to buy games. it, that's a game and so it's encouraged me to give smaller discounted closeout games uh, a real try because if I can get you for $10 and you're normally $59.95 I'm going to add you to my cart so uh, I mean obviously I'm I'm not saying everyone should lose money on the games they put out but that is uh, something that very much attracts me uh, who's becoming much more of a collector I think than just a board game enthusiast sure yeah absolutely. Um, so and also the board game geek hotness list every once in a while i just like to glance down it and see what's what's on there sometimes it's games that will never be a thing uh it's it's like coming out in 2022 i'm like why is it the hotness because somebody mentioned it in a gen con interview or something right right so, um but some it's of it buzz. some of it's games that just came out some are games that are you know at $150,000 in Kickstarter. there's, uh, But it kind of gives you a pulse on what people are talking about. Yeah. Which is kind of fun. So, Yeah, I will do that as well. I'll check, just peek at the hotness. I don't think I've ever bought anything through from the hotness, but it's kind of nice to know where the... Yeah. The, the, uh, the mind of the... The broader mind of the gamer <laughs> community is at. Yeah, because you never know what's going to put a game on it, too. Like, you could go on there right now and see Scythe, and you're like, wow... Scythe hasn't really been like a huge thing for a couple of years. I mean, they're still putting out expansions, but maybe well, they just launched the uh, digital version too. Yes, and maybe Jamie Stegmeier like had a you know big uh, talk at some convention or something. Now all of a sudden, Scythe is the hotness. Uh, so there's you always see things. I see things on there that I'm just like, well, why are people talking about that right now? Yeah, and so you, it's it's always a good way to keep a. Uh, finger on the pulse 
Wow. It is speaking of that kind of, and we'll right, we can stop beating this to death after this, but <laughs> if we want. But I just that just made me think of you know J- Jamie Stegmeier has been such a um an example of someone who really is active in the community, releases good games, and has built his company and business up on the backs of a lot of really great games, and clearly has a passion for game and and thinks about design a lot um, and does a lot of interactivity. But it's interesting for people like us where you feel like you want to be constantly selling your game or yeah, no, that's, I'd say that's appropriate selling your game, but not feel like that's all you're talking about. When everyone wants to talk to you, you're just be like, Hey, that reminds me of the game that I'm working on. So there's this weird line of feeling like you want to talk about it a lot or bring it up and, uh, you know, present it a lot, but not feel like that's all you ever do or the guy or you become the guy in these, as these small, designers that just only talks about the thing that you're about to do and it's just i don't know it's just this frustrating experience where he's done a great job with that more than anyone that i can think of yeah that he and he has these sunday sit down videos on youtube that i religiously watch um and he almost never talks about his games well this one he doesn't have to but yeah he'll usually come out and say uh you know, I, I'm putting this list together and I'm excluding any games from Stonemaier Games, any games that I've worked on uh, or have anything to do with because I want this to be, you know, a an unbiased list. Sure. And uh, he's so good at that. And he's, he's so good at just giving advice to the community and contributing things to the community that, have nothing, that, that don't seem to directly uh, help him. Like the, all these Kickstarter videos, he's got this series of like a hundred plus Kickstarter videos, how to do different things in Kickstarter. And uh, it's like this big long tutorial if you watch them all in a row. And it's just free advice. Yeah. I mean, I understand it. Yeah. it it's a marketing machine behind the scenes, but it just comes across as him coming out and saying, hey, I'm a part of this community and I want to contribute to it because it's done so much for me. And there's, it's, he's so genuine. Yeah. No, he, he does an amazing job of yeah. staying within the community and engaging in, and like you said, helpful ways. It's it's a, a lot of examples of of guides and helps and tips mm-hmm. and his thoughts on, on things. And also just like straight up responses to their own issues. I remember when Wingspan came out, Wingspan was sort of notorious for having um, missing uh, the bar on how many copies they should have or could have or should have printed. And there was a lot of frustration in the community of people who wanted a copy but couldn't get one. And then, right. and then you know, it's like, are you just doing this to f- whip up fear? And I, I can't imagine it's that insidious. <laughs> yes. No. But, uh, but, you know, and then he had this great post about his mindset on how much of a game to release and what the markers are and uh, publisher and distributors thoughts on how to do that. And he's, you know, I'm pretty sure he was like, yeah, we, we kind of messed up on this one and it's uh, there's never anything we want to do, but it's going to happen to potentially never. It's a, uh, it's uh, shooting at targets in the dark, in the dark. You just cannot know for sure the response of a game. You hope it's great, but you can't plan on every game breaking the mold and blowing yeah. out the the shelves of uh the game store well and especially when he doesn't use kickstarter anymore and hasn't for his last bunch of games uh you really have to rely on distribution projections pre-sales from your own website uh buzz kind of what you 
think you're going to sell when it comes out and right. you could be way off with kickstarter like it ends you know exactly what you've sold right right you you'll you'll get more copies printed up because that's part of the reason you're doing is to fund a larger print run uh but with kickstarter you know exactly how many copies you've sold yeah right when it ends yeah uh and you just uh, you don't if you're releasing it say hey now it's available on my website yeah uh you don't know if one person's gonna come by it or a hundred thousand people are gonna come by it yeah although i think his projections will probably get easier and easier to uh to narrow down because yeah he's the more games that they come out with obviously the more he'll be able to figure out what a typical game of his is going to move. Yeah. And I, I mean, they're becoming, I mean, yeah, like you said, he's sort of got to rebuild that Kickstarter informational engine that they were using. And then, but these, they're, um, stronghold games are becoming one of the standards. This is, they're going to really, the games they release are going to be good <laughs> or still Sorry. Sorry. Um, stronghold games are also good. Usually. <laughs> um, they're a different breed. <laughs> they're, uh, they're going to be, you know, dependable. So it's kind of like fantasy flight, in the sense that we're, you know, you're it's just there's going to be quality there, and and uh, if you like their type of games, you're probably going to be satisfied with what they what they bring out. So anyway, all right, should all right. we move on to our top five? Um, I think we should. We're going to make this a fairly brisk top five since we spent a lot of time during our conversation. Um, good, good stuff, but. Um, Today's top five is going to be uh, games that lost their luster with repeated plays. So I'm going to preface my list by saying I would play any of these games on my list if somebody wanted to play them. These aren't games I would necessarily whip out because I w- am excited to play them. Uh, and one of these games I... I have trouble actually physically playing because it's so non-colorblind friendly uh, that I can't actually play it very well. Um, but so uh, that's kind of a precursor. These aren't bad games. These aren't games that I think suck. That's a totally different list, um, which you'll probably never hear because I don't want to piss anybody off. But <laughs> um, yeah, these are these are games that I have started off really, really high on, wanted to play a lot. Some of them I did play a lot, and kind of feel like at this point in time, they I've sort of gotten everything out of these games as an experience that I'm going to get out of them. All right, I would say the same about my list. Is it's I these aren't games that I dislike, but they are games that just the luster has been slightly taken off of them, and uh, maybe I don't get to them as much. But uh, or probably overplayed a few of them too much and kind of got sick of them. Yeah. So so definitely not bad games for the most part by any means. And um, yeah, I would I would definitely still play them and probably will very soon. <laughs> a lot of them. Okay. Well, I will kick it off with uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Uh, first time I played this game, I loved it. Like, I played this, and I'm like, where has this been my whole life? We <laughs> yeah. happened to get the perfect combination of players and final traitor haunt, and it just worked perfectly. And I'm like, wow, this game's amazing. I'm going <laughs> to play it every day. Um, the second time I played it, the haunt wasn't as good. I still liked it. It wasn't as good. 
Um, about the fourth or fifth time I played it, uh, I had gotten the expansion, and uh, to which I have yet to find a haunt that isn't broken. And uh, got a couple of really bad haunts in a row, and I really feel like I love what this game is trying to do. I love the feel of the game. I love, uh, I really enjoy a lot of the build up to it, but it does not satisfy the same way that it used to. I sure. will, it doesn't feel like I'm ever going to find that sweet spot like I did on the first play again. And when I look at it now, I don't ever think to just pull it out and try playing it with people if somebody's like hey let's all play betrayal i will play it uh and hope that we get a decent haunt but um it it really has lost a lot of the shine for me okay yeah i could see that i think that's probably a common <laughs> for games that sort of notoriously get some broken item broken uh directions in it that makes sense yeah um my first one is uh, also kind of a game of similar size and that is a uh, clank in space and i really like clank in space a lot it's a game i i do enjoy i have played it quite a lot but um i kind of and this is one where i kind of feel like i overplayed it too much and just sort of got used to the routine of clank and space clank and space clank and clank and space are games where you're it's kind of like a race game where you're racing each other to a destination or an objective and then you're racing back through the cave or the spaceship and clank and space is the one that i've played and own and have the most experience with obviously the most experience with because i haven't played regular clank but um for whatever reason it just feels like and I got to a point where I just kind of, it wasn't doing it for me. I just wasn't enjoying my playthroughs of it. And not that, well, I shouldn't say I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying it as much. When I first got this game, I love this game. It's just, just, it's such a fun feeling of racing through and finding different avenues to get to your destination. But I just got to a point where it was kind of, I don't know. It just, the, the, the amount of setup that's needed to get into the game and then getting into the game was uh, it just wasn't as as engaging as it used to be. That being said, I've I haven't played it for a long time, and I'm sure if I played it again, I'd recapture some of that. But it just definitely was one of those that took uh, just kind of faded a little bit over repeated plays. That really surprises me. That one blew me away. Really? Because yeah, I I would not have expected that. Um, but yeah, I I kind of I kind of feel the same way. I, I sort of feel like uh. After you've played it a few times, uh, a lot of the experiences after that are very similar. Yeah. Um, so, um, okay. So my number, I guess that was my five. So my number four is um, Raiders of the North Sea. So I got Raiders mm. of the North Sea on uh, a lot of recommendations. Uh, the first playthrough was great i really enjoyed it i'm like this is my favorite worker placement game um followed very closely by manhattan project which i love <laughs> uh plug uh and so i i played it and then i played raiders again and i played it again and about the third or fourth time i started feeling like uh there was something missing and i know a lot of people say that that kind of uh that it comes with the expansions that they have uh, some expansions that really breathe a lot of new life into it. Um, I have trouble getting expansions to games that I'm not head over heels for. 
uh, I don't think a game should need an expansion to shine. Sure. I think yeah, it should yeah. need an expansion to go beyond, you know, and enhance the experience, but I don't think it should rely on an expansion for the experience. Um, I, I really started to feel like Raiders was uh, very simplistic, um, a little too much so, and didn't feel like there were enough good choices overall uh, to really maintain any of that enthusiasm. So at this point in time, I, again, would probably never pull out Raiders, but if somebody said, I want to play it, I'd be fine to play it. Sure. So. I could see that. Um. Okay, next on my list is uh, the game Ascension. So uh, my wife and I play a lot of two-player games, and uh, Ascension's one that we, we enjoyed. I, I still like Ascension a lot, but I have also played the app quite a bit, and I find that I guess it's, this is more of a case of games that do this, the what Ascension and like Dominion does a little bit better or, I don't know, I, not necessarily better, but in slightly more satisfying ways um ascension always feels to me like you kind of just get going and then it's over it's that feeling that type of game Mm -hmm. where um i'll have experiences too where i'm playing and i feel like i it's just it's just not happening (laughs) like the market is not giving me what i need or that suddenly it's all monsters and i've specialized in um purchasing and i don't have enough uh weapons uh skill to to fight these things and so that's that's fine i mean that's that's part of the flow of the game and the story of ascension weaves each gameplay is you're a wandering warrior battling these things but i i still like this game i just play it less frequently and the luster has been taken off since uh when i first got it when i just love 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 this this game and i also will say that in my experience and i've only played three of them the different versions or editions of ascension drastically vary in satisfaction i have one storm of souls i think for me just completely fell flat i don't the the, the special thing that Storm of Souls introduces, I just was, it just was like, I've, I've had complete games where I've never used that at all. So it's like, why is it even here? So that's more of a complaint about that edition than anything else. But, uh, but yeah, Ascension is just one that I still enjoy, but play a lot less often than I used to. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I think Ascension is, is a good game. It was a great game at the time. Yeah. But I, I feel like there are games that do what it does uh, better. Yeah, I'd so, agree with that. Yeah. All right. Well, my next one is uh, the game that I physically have a, a difficult time playing, and that's uh, Airlines Europe. Hmm. And it's by Alan Moon, who did um, Ticket to Ride. And so I like his games. I, I very much enjoyed my first playthrough of Airlines Europe. Uh, enjoyed my second one. Um, it's difficult for me because I think there's like 11 different colors of these. Uh, it's either 9 or 11, some weird number like that of different colors of planes and um i really struggle to read them because there's so many different shades of the same colors uh and so it's it's really hard for me to identify them and tell the difference um but the the game also uh after a couple of plays i just sort of felt like i was going through the motions and it just didn't feel like there was a lot of substantial gameplay behind uh i I didn't love a lot of the choices um some of the gameplay started becoming very Mm samey and so it just uh it definitely lost its luster um if somebody wanted to play this i would happily loan them my copy uh but i think i would probably set it out okay yeah interesting i've never played that one 
but uh that's one that you people you hear about a lot or heard about a lot i guess it's older now but um okay my next one is uh a game that i just finally come to terms with the fact that i am just garbage at this game and uh that's sulkin (laughs) um i i like i don't once again i don't dislike sulkin but i there it is something about sulkin's deferred turn turn basically the game is if you boil it down it is deferred actions on your turn you just you defer doing something for several rounds and i my stupid smooth brain cannot just i always struggle with this game part of it is because i'm always trying to do this strategy i heard about one time that i don't think i think it was being punked and doesn't really exist that where you can avoid the farms completely because the slightest hiccup in that strategy will ruin it completely and it fall all unravels but the other part of it is is that I just find it, I don't know what it is. I think it's just some games you are more attuned to and some you aren't. And the deferred action of the gears is part of its draw and it is engaging. But I think with higher player counts, at least for me, I just like, it's like I can, I just get stuck in analysis paralysis with this game because it's Mm. so easy to miss time what you want to do and then have everything be thrown off and then try to scramble then i always feel like i'm scrambling to get back to some semblance of a strategy and missing opportunities that i should have been going for or could have been going for if i was one or two corn better position which is infuriating and that's just me though i this is a good game and a lot of people like it but i i, I don't know i played it i played it several times when i first got it um and i enjoyed it i enjoyed the complexity of it but lately i've just i enjoy my plays but i not nearly as much and i just get i find myself more frustrated with my own actions than uh than previously and and part of that is kind of raiders of the north sea is a good example where raiders of the north sea is a little dynamic in placement where you can do you have more wiggle room in placing silken is you either put things on and to put as many on as you can and afford to or you take things off and pull as many off as you want so there's no you, you, it's a binary thing. It's either on or off. And so if, if you mistime it, well, suddenly you've got to take everything off or you should to try to get as much payout or, or as much as you can. And I just feel that system just like, oh, I, I just constantly mistime it is, is what it is. Huh. This one really surprises me because you were so big on this game. And I, I, I love like, this game. I still like it. I'd play this game any anytime, anywhere. Uh I, I won the last playthrough of it, so so I may just stop and never play it again and just say I've I've conquered that game. But um, it's the first time I'd ever won. Um, so yeah, that that surprises me. That it really does. So. I just yeah, I just think I just can't click with it in certain ways. Well, and also I two things. I think it might be better for me as a two player game, uh, which is odd for like, the size of this game. Yeah. To me, I, I was thinking I've only back ever on my, played it four players. Yeah. I was thinking back on my plays, and and a two-player game is uh, into, there's a dummy player involved, and so that's there's a little bit more ability to plan because you kind of know what the dummy player just sort of rides the rings around, mm-hmm. and um, so you kind of have a sense, and you're you can there's less variabilities there. There's more. There's a couple of things that are more static, and um, also I really want to try the expansion with which our uh, game cohort at Game Group Jeff has, which I've never played. And that seems to add a little bit more individuality to each player. Yeah, those factions. Yeah, some asymmetry. And so I kind of yeah. wonder if that 
would clarify for me a little bit more of, okay, that helps me with my strategy. Because one of the things that Silicon has is just got a lot of options and things to do. But in a four-player game, and once again, it's probably because I'm just not good at the game. <laughs> I always feel stymied like I'm one play behind the, what I needed to do. I have a lot of experiences. I'm going to grab that, and then I'm about to – oh, someone grabbed it. Or I'm going to do that. Oh, no, nope, that spot's taken. Well, and in a four-player game, you, yeah. you can't – you have to do something different than everyone else. If you start exactly, working yeah. towards skulls and somebody else is already working towards skulls or right. starts working towards skulls, you, you're done. You're that's finished. why I try to you do, my, do that. my not uh, successful no farm strategy. Right. <laughs> so uh, I'm doing something different. Because nobody's going to compete with you on that. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Not have any food for your people? Yeah. You got it. Uh, all right. But anyway. So, uh, But I can definitely see what you're, where you're coming from there. Um, my number two... Uh, building up to number one is uh, Century Spice Road. Now, I like Century Spice Road. I will even suggest sometimes, especially with uh, newer gamers, uh, in especially in a four, five, five players, especially because it does. It's the only Century game that plays five. Um, I will still suggest it. Um, however, when I first started playing it, I played it. A dozen times and just was like this is the best game ever uh this is fantastic and the more i play it uh the more it feels very rote uh it feels like there's kind of preset stuff that you do uh the cards are random but sometimes and sometimes the cards that come out just don't help you build your engine sure. and i feel like i can tell halfway through a game of centuries spice road if I'm going to compete or not right? based on what cards I've been able to acquire. Right. Have I been able to connect enough things to be able to just run out this nice combo of stuff? No, then I'm not going to compete. And I know I'm not. And yeah. that's kind of a downer to play, you know, the rest of a game. Fortunately, it's, uh, it's fairly short. Sure. So it's not, you're not playing it forever, but it's definitely lost a lot of the enthusiasm that I had for it. Okay. Um, Plus, uh, Century New World is awesome. <laughs> it's it does exactly it's what Century Spice Road does, but with worker placement rather than deck building. So, uh, I'm sure, and it adds some complexity on top of it. But it's a, it's definitely a good step two um, for Spice Road. When you feel like Century Spice Road is kind of done, all it can do for you, I I'd suggest a New World. Yeah. I am excited to try it. Um, all right. So I've got another one, which is another. I'm just blowing up all my favorite games right now. So I'll just do the next one. Um, this one is Seventh Continent, surprisingly enough. What? And I will put a caveat here. I love this game. I still very much love this game. But the shine taken off of it is more about my expectations of when and how I would be able to get this game played than the game itself. Because this game itself does what it does very well. But Seventh Continent is unlike pretty much any other game it's more similar to or a role-playing game than i would say a straight-up board game because it's you're you're making decisions and the game is just kind of throwing things at you and, and it's legacy right or it's, it is basically legacy, legacy. Like a yeah hybrid legacy it's it's the feeling of legacy and that's part of my frustration with it is when i got seventh continent i was super excited about it and my and i envisioned <laughs> i envisioned this uh 
grand reception of everyone I know, and we'd have these regular Seventh Continent play moments, and like <laughs> it would become this epic adventure we could all reflect on and get together on. And uh, it just has not definitely become that. <laughs> and it's not the spiritual guide that right we all hope it hasn't it become be. my meaning to live. <laughs> but so what? And what it is is that Seventh Continent is it's similar to Legacy, and it takes one session, one curse is going to probably take you ten to fifteen hours to play through. So that's several sessions of play. You can stop. I, I usually a playthrough session is two to three hours, um, and uh, you can you can stop and start. It's got a great saving mechanism, but you have to be in the mood to see that out i have a uh, kevin and i are in the middle of one playthrough that we haven't played for two months and we started it because i was like hey man do you want to just try to run through a curse with me and he was up for it um and so we started and it was fun and then life gets in the way and suddenly it's two months later and you're like what were we doing again yeah and uh and you kind of just lose the thread which is a complaint of a lot of legacy games as well um the other thing is it's very it's very difficult, and I, I like that when I'm playing solo. That's fine. I can I can see the dark humor in the fact that I um, went to go wash the, the blood off of my hands after I fought a bear in the river, and suddenly the river, <laughs> I fell in, and I went all the way back to the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, going to say piranhas, but your way is way better. <laughs> that is infuriating. But it's also like, all right, fair enough. This is a wild island. I'm I'm delirious from uh, bear attack. Uh, okay, I will know not to do that ever again. But there's a couple <laughs> things in the game that will just do that to you. Keep and the like, blood on your hands. A bitch. <laughs> uh, but it attracts more bears. I can't. And so uh, anyway, um, I, I will say that with the caveat here, I love this game. I would play Seventh Continent in a second. I just, the luster is taken off by the fact that I just can't seem to get regular as much of plays as i would like and because of the fact that the game requires a set schedule and this is my my i almost want put in imperial assault here because i had the same experience where i own imperial assault i have never played a full campaign and it's just because it's really hard to schedule that and keep people's interest up um in that game that game has more complexity than seven continent and getting going and introducing people to it but it's that same thing where I want to play this all the time and I can't force people to play this game or I can't, uh, it's just hard to coordinate, hard to coordinate to do. So fair enough. Um, all right. Uh, so my number one, uh, game that has lost its luster with repeated plays. And this one is my fault because I literally played this game to death. Um, I not only am I turned off of this game now, but I think everyone who came to our game group for a solid year, year and a half, um, will never play this game again. Um, and that is Secret Hitler. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I really liked Secret Hitler a lot. It was really it was one of my first uh, forays into social deduction games, um, at least what I consider modern social deduction games, and it just blew me away mm. and anytime i had 10 people this is the game i wanted to play we had game group uh we had game nights where we would play a couple games of secret hitler and then play a couple more and before you know it it just became secret hitler night, <laughs> yeah. where we did five or six of these in a row um and even when that didn't happen usually towards the end of the night we'd play one or two every night to end the night. So we've probably played this a hundred plus times, uh, which obviously tells you it's a decent game. Yeah. If anyone can get that many playthroughs and not 
you know, just swear off games altogether. Uh, but this one is painful for me to want to play again. So like if, if somebody's like, Hey, we're going to play secret Hitler. If you need me for a 10th, okay yeah i'll play it but if there's anyone else who's like i don't know i'd be like i'd rather that guy play <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh that's secret hitler um how the mighty have fallen yeah i that's funny that's um also how i'm ending it as well so i'm just gonna double down on that and uh <laughs> clarify that yeah i i like secret hitler but i don't know i was trying to figure out also what was what was kind of put into words exactly what was kind of bothering me about the game and uh, when we did our interviews with Game Night Kevin's I think Kevin hit on the head for me where there's a lot of experiences where I just I don't know what's going on and I feel like I'm just going through the motions where either especially at a full table compliment a lot of times it's like I can't pay attention to everybody and speaker Hiller is a game where you're you're um you're chatting you're having fun and you're having a you're drinking a beer and um and so i, I feel like for me at least in the downtime between there's not a lot of downtime it just felt like there's several games where i was just like i have no idea who anyone is really and i'm just kind of hanging out and having fun in the experience so i'm not really playing a game and that's okay yeah. that's okay but you really have to like be like out and yeah. stand up and like pointing at people and accusing and yeah like the the people who are not uh it, it's very easy if you want to just sort of be background noise yeah. in this game it's very easy to be that yeah and that's i think that having some experiences with that where it just felt like in a lot of different people were maybe used to the game or they're just certain personalities that know how to play the game that way and are good at playing the game that way and that's totally fine it's valid it's a valid strategy um but also the amount of plays <laughs> as well yeah. kind of lack, took it out for me i would much rather prefer for me i and an I prefer different versions of this game. If I'm going to do a social deduction game, I would rather play Hong Kong or um, I, I still love one night werewolf. I think that's a quicker version and satisfies that, but it's over. It's like, it's in 20 minutes. You've played that. You've got the sense of like, ah, you're, yeah, blah, blah, and it's more directly the point of you're this. No, I'm not. You are. And then you're done as opposed to the yeah. secret Hitler round, which takes longer and is more sitting and kind of just trying to figure it out by yourself. Um, so anyway, I would just second that. It's still yeah. a great game. Definitely check it out. We both own it. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. It's if, if you like social deduction games, I, I absolutely recommend it. Uh, just don't play it every single right. day forever. Right. Although um, it is fun to bring out and uh, see people's eyebrows go up when you bring out a game titled Hitler, Hitler yes. and try to explain how fun it is. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, you get to be Hitler. <laughs> what? And we're looking for you. <laughs> Exciting. And it's about uh, the German parliamentary system in the early 1900s. <laughs> Woo! Who wants to play now? Where are you all going? <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So before we go, uh, I would like to uh, mention that in uh, about a month, we're going to do, and I'll have an exact date on the next podcast, we're going to have our first ever uh, Roasted Games Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Yes. So um, to go along with this, we're going to be giving away uh, some games that Kaz and I have designed and gotten printed up through our favorite people, the Game Crafter. I am not paid any money by the Game Crafter <laughs> to endorse, although I totally would uh, endorse them for money. Uh, but I'm just going to do it for free because I love them. They have been uh, I they have been printing up prototypes for me for years. 
Uh, anytime I've had customer service issues, it's been resolved immediately. Um, the owner's very active on Reddit. He's easy to get a hold of. Um, they're a phone call away, an email away. They're very responsive. They fix their mistakes. Um, they're an awesome bunch of people to work with. And uh, all right, so end of game character <laughs> ad. Um, so anyway, uh, we're going to be posting on social media, uh, specifically in Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're going to be posting polls of uh like top five lists of different categories and we're going to have you guys vote on them and when you vote you get entered into the contest we will be giving away at least one game on instagram at least one game on twitter and at least one game on facebook so uh, no matter how you respond uh, you will you will help shape our first ever roasted games hall of fame so stay tuned for that uh, follow us on twitter at Roasted Games One, and also on Instagram, and look for us on Facebook. Uh, just search for Roasted Games. All right, guys. Well, we look forward to getting into that with you guys, and uh, we will see you guys in the next episode. Bye.